Okay, so the last two weeks we've reviewed Matthew 1 through 7, and then Matthew 8 through 14 last week. And the last time we went uh, in our series of Matthew was probably about, I don't know, a couple months ago. And uh, so last time we looked at Matthew 15, 1 through uh, 20. And in that we saw a lot about uh, legalism and what true legalism is. Um, le- true legalism is not trying to obey God's commandments. That's called holiness. Uh, legalism is setting up a law that is not found in God's word and then at- uh, trying to attain and obey that law. And we talked about this, if you remember, how... Um, Something, there's something that's just as bad as saying, I can't obey God's commands, or God commanding you to do something and you don't do it. it is making a making command that is not found in the Word of God and imposing it upon others. That's called legalism. And, you know, each family here will have preferences as far as what they're going to do within their family, things that are not found in the Word of God, things that I believe Romans 14 calls doubtful things. And we're not to impose these things upon other people. Um, And that's what the Pharisees were doing. They were trying to say that the, basically that the disciples were sinning because they didn't wash their hands before they ate. But at the same time, while they're trying to convict the disciples of sinning, um, Jesus pointed out their sin by saying, this gift, you should have been taking care of your own parents and instead he said, well, this is going to be a gift to God, Corbin. And we don't even know, did they really even give it to God? We don't know. But the point is, God doesn't want those kind of gifts. He wants you to obey him. Not take what he's told you to do and turn to something else instead. And so he saw these people were hypocrites, Jesus called them. Pretenders. Who draw near to Jesus with their mouth, or God with their mouth, and honor him with their, his, their lips, but their heart is far from him, and we saw that the the, uh, the Pharisees were offended. Uh, did you just go over there and give them a hug when he found out they were offended? Did he coddle them in their sin? No, he said, Let them alone; they are blind leaders of the blind. They'll both fall into the ditch. And we also talked about that the last time about how every sin proceeds from the heart. Now, is the state of someone's heart an involuntary state, something they're born with, or something they choose? Something they choose. You choose the state of your heart. So you choose what proceeds from your heart. And we know out of the mouth comes the overflow of the heart. So we must be inwardly clean. Okay, today we're going to read from verse 21 down through verse 39. And we're also going to go to Mark's account of this passage to see what that says. Okay, so Matthew 15 and verse 21. And Jesus went out from there and departed to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a woman of Canaan came from that region and cried out to him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. But he answered her not a word. The disciples came and urged him, saying, Send her away, for she cries out after us. 
But he answered and said, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Then she came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. But he answered and said, It is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. And she said, Yes, Lord. Yet even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from the master's table. And Jesus answered and said to her, O woman, great is your faith. Let it be to you as you desire. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. And Jesus departed from there, skirted the Sea of Galilee, and went up on the mountain and sat down there. Then great multitudes came to him, having with them the lame, blind, mute, maimed, and many others. And he laid them down at Jesus' feet, and he healed them. So the multitude marveled when they saw the mute speaking, the maimed made whole, the lame walking, and the blind seeing. And they glorified the God of Israel. Now Jesus called his disciples to himself and said, I have compassion on the multitude, because they now have, have now continued with me three days and have nothing to eat. I do not want to send them away hungry, lest they faint on the way. Then his disciples said to him, Where could we get enough bread in the wilderness to fill such a great multitude? Jesus said to them, how many loaves do you have? They said, Seven and a few little fish. So he commanded the multitude to sit down on the ground. And he took the seven loaves and the fish, gave thanks, broke them, and gave them to his disciples. And the disciples gave them to the multitude. So they ate, all ate and were filled, and he took up seven large baskets full of the fragments that were left. Now those who, were, who ate were four thousand men, besides women and children. He sent away the multitude, got into the boat, and came to the region of Magdala. Okay, let's go to Mark's account of this, Mark chapter 7. And we'll find some more details there. We'll be starting in verse 24. Mark 7 and verse 24. From there he arose and went to the region of Tyre and Sidon, and he entered a house and wanted no one to know it, but he could not be hidden. For a woman whose young daughter had been had an unclean spirit and heard about him, and she came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she kept asking him to cast the demon out of her. But Jesus said to her, Let the children be filled first, for it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. And she answered and said, it said to him, Yes, Lord, yet even the little dogs under the table eat from the children's crumbs. They said to her, For this saying, Go your way, the demon has gone out of your daughter. And when she had come to her house, she found the demon gone out, and her daughter lying on the bed. Again, departing from the region of Tyre and Sidon, he came through the midst of the region of, of Decapolis to the Sea of Galilee. And they brought to him one who was deaf and had an impediment in his speech, and they begged him to put his hand on him. He took him aside from the multitude, and put his fingers in his ears, and he spat and touched his tongue. Then looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephphatha, that is, be opened. Immediately his ears were opened, and the impediment of his tongue was loosed, and he spoke plainly. Then he commanded them that they should tell no one, but the more he commanded them, the more widely they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He makes both the deaf to hear and the mute to speak. In those days, the multitude being very great and having nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples to him and said to them, I have compassion on the multitude because they have now continued with me three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their own houses, they will faint on the way, and some of them have come from afar. The disciples answered him, How can one satisfy these people with bread here in the wilderness? 
He asked him, How many loaves do you have? He said, Seven. So he commanded the multitude to sit down on the ground. And he took the seven loaves and gave, gave thanks, broke them, and gave them to his disciples to set before them. He set, before, set them before the multitude. They also had a few small fish, and having blessed them, he said to set them before, also before them. So they ate and were filled, and they took up seven large baskets of leftover fragments. Now those who had eaten were about 4,000, and he sent them away. Immediately got into the boat with the disciples and came to the region of Dalmanutha. Okay, let's go back to Matthew here. So we have this encounter with this uh, woman from Tyre and Sidon. And the first thing it says is Jesus departed from that region. Now why do you think he departed from that region? Scripture doesn't explicitly say so. Why do you think he might have departed from there? Yeah, they were offended. What do they typically do when they are offended? They wanted to kill him. Now, it doesn't say that here, but I, I think we can safely assume that. But he, he went away, and he even went to a Gentile area. Now, if you were to go to the maps in the back of your Bible, um, I don't know if you have them or not, but if you have a map in the back of your Bible, you can turn to it, and you'll see to the northwest, or directly to the north of Galilee, you'll see Phoenicia. Okay, It's basically a state of the country Syria. Okay, that's why Mark calls her a Syrophoenician woman, and Matthew calls her a Canaanite woman, which is probably a more proper term for the Jewish people to understand. Uh, but she is both. She's a Canaanite and she's a Syrophoenician. And she's also a Greek, which means Gentile. It's all those things. And um, so he comes to this area, and and Mark says uh, when he came to this area that he didn't want something to happen. It says, he entered a house and wanted no one to know it, but he could not be hidden. Well, I wonder why he couldn't be hidden. Well, let's, let's turn to uh, Matthew 4.24. Let's see what that says. <clears throat> we'll start in Matthew 4.23. And Jesus went about all Galilee, which is to the south, of Phoenicia, teaching their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing all kinds of sicknesses and all kinds of disease among the people. Then his fame went throughout all Syria, and they brought to him all sick people who were afflicted with various diseases and torments, and those who were demon-possessed, demon epileptics, and paralytics, and he healed them. So we see why he couldn't be hidden. They'd already heard about him. They'd already known about him. And we see the same thing in Mark chapter 3 and verse 8. We see the same thing in Luke chapter 6 and verse 17. Well, he could not be hidden because a woman had heard about him. That's what it says in Mark 7.25. For a woman whose young daughter had unclean spirit had heard about him. She heard about him. His fame had spread. Now, before we get to the, the woman here, Jesus said, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So he went to Tyre and Sidon, Phoenicia. He wasn't going there to minister. He was going there to get away the people he had just spoken to, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, etc., the ones who were offended by what he had said. He wasn't going there to miss them. He was not sent to those people. And he even told his disciples in Matthew chapter 10, verses 5 and 6, we looked at it several times, he said, do not go except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. It was not the Gentiles' time. 
But we've seen in the past, we saw in Mark, Matthew 4, we can go to Mark 3, we can go to Luke 6, we'll see that Jesus did not forbid these people to come to him. He just wasn't seeking after them. But he didn't forbid them when they came to him. But that wasn't his call. And we saw, and we, and we can look at the book of Acts, chapter 1, and we can see, who did Jesus send his disciples to? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria? Uh-oh. Now we're outside of Jerusalem. Now we're having kind of like half-breed people. Half-Jewish, half-Canaanite people, which is what the Samaritans are. And to the ends of the earth. And of course, the disciples really didn't get it. Until Peter started going, he went to Cornelius, and then Paul came along, and he started going to Gentiles. They didn't get it. But we have this woman who comes along, and she cried out to him. Now, we have to understand this word cry here. It literally means to shriek, to scream. It's the same word used when it's talking about demon-possessed people, when demons are coming out of people. It's the same word used when a woman's in labor. The same word used to talk about the people who murdered Stephen when they cried out after him to stone him to death. This is not like a couple tears on your face kind of cry, like Carrie Ann's experiencing right now. It's a shrieking a screaming, a distress, deep distress. Like a woman wanting to get her child out. Like a person wanting a demon to come out, like a demon coming out out of anger because they want to stay in the person. She's shrieking out, crying out to him. Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. And if those are the, those are the four, four words that God desires to hear from every sinner. Have mercy on on me. And what a great cry that is. Not just the words themselves, but a cry out. Have mercy. Like the, like, the, like the publican who stood before God and the Pharisees next to him. He says, God, I thank you that I'm not like him. And the publican says, forgive me, a sinner. That's what God longs for, for every sinner to do. To say, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. We see a similar cry in verse 25. Lord, help me. Lord, help me. And whether you cry out the four words, have mercy on me, or the three words, Lord, help me, very similar. Coming from the same heart, the same spirit, the same desire, the same desperation, that they, this person needs help. And she's coming to God for help. But here's the thing. What, what, did, what did Jesus do at first? Did he respond to her? Did he answer her cry? So when she cried out to him, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. He didn't respond to her. And some people might say, Well, that's a lack of compassion there, Jesus. Here's all the time on college campuses. Uh, the crowd will be raging and going crazy. I'll just sit there and quiet, be quiet for a while. You don't love us. You won't talk back. You won't, you won't answer our questions. Jesus would answer our questions. And they're mockers now. I'm not talking about a woman who's crying out in desperation with a true heart of repentance, a true heart of wanting mercy. And Jesus didn't respond to her. And, and I'll, tell you, I'll tell you this. If anything can be a picture of the way a sinner should come to God in desperation, it's this. And if anything should be a picture of the way a Christian 
should come to God in prayer. It's this. Oh, how many Christians this woman puts to shame when it comes to their prayer life? How many Christians are put to shame who won't come to God in desperation? One thing in answer to prayer, they'll, they'll pray, they'll say some words, but they'll be what James 1 talks about. Let's go to James 1. James 1 and verse 2. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Now the testing of your faith produces patience or endurance or perseverance. But let patience have its perfect work. They may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, stable in all his ways. We come to God with these lukewarm prayers where we just kind of saying the words to go through the motions and kind of check the box. I prayed today about that situation. And you're not really even expecting an answer. You're kind of just doing it. Don't expect to get an answer. Don't expect to get an answer. If this woman would have come to Jesus like that, do you think he would have responded to her eventually? He would have just walked on. She would have walked on. She wouldn't have kept on going. But she persevered with Jesus. Even through some things he said to her, which are kind of hard things to hear. He persevered. She persevered with him. The disciples were getting annoyed at her. The disciples were like, just send her away, man. Send her away. For she shrieks out, she screams out after us. But he reaffirmed to his disciples that it was not sin except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And what are the disciples? They, they didn't want her to be helped. They didn't want this woman to be helped. They could seem like they could care less. They just wanted her to be out of the way. And he said, well, I, hey, I, you know, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And she cried out, Lord, help me. And think about these three words. You know, these are just three words, and we don't really think about them very much. Got an exclamation point at the end of it. Think, just think about these three words for a second. It's very short, very humble, very full of faith, very fervent, and complete reliance. She can't help herself. She knows that. She can't help herself. But she cried out to God for help. And she persevered. And then Jesus said, not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. Now, someone who really wasn't humble, someone who wasn't in desperation, would have said, "You know, he just called me a little dog. I'm going to leave. He just insulted me. I'm going to leave now." But did she leave? We're not talking about the savage dogs you see. And we talked about in the Bible, they're on the streets. You know, like kind of like wolves. These are like lap dogs. You can picture Kathy. Okay, 
Picture caffeine. Little lap dog. What does caffeine do? It's like a little vacuum cleaner. Comes on our table, cleans it up. Now, children, McLone children, what would you think if your parents fed caffeine the good stuff and you got the scraps? Wouldn't like that, would you? You see, Jesus was sent to the children of God. He's saying to them, it's not your time yet. It's not your time yet. I'm not coming to you yet. I came to your area, but I came here to sneak away, and now I'm walking away. I want to get away from you. I'm not here to minister to you. But she cried out after him, continued to cry after me, and she said, this is a, what a wonderful response. What a humble response. She knew her place. Yes, Lord. Yet even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from the master's table. What a humble response. And that's really the way we should all kind of view ourselves. Put ourselves in the right place here. I'm just a little dog, Lord. I just want to eat from your table. Just the crumbs. I don't, I don't need a steak. I don't need a good vegetable platter. Uh, I don't need the good stuff. I just want your crumbs, Lord. That's it. Just your crumbs. And when you come like that, in humility, he won't just give you crumbs. He'll give you the fullness. Because he sees your heart is right. He sees you are prepared and ready to receive what he's wanted to give you all along. His fullness. Everything he has for you. And even though he wasn't seeking after this woman, she sought after him, and he didn't turn her away. She sought after him, and he didn't turn her away. So this whole nonsense of God's picked and chosen certain people from eternity past, and, you know, this one's going to be saved, this one's going to go to hell. I think this is kind of hurting that, that way of thinking, if you ask me. Because Jesus wasn't seeking after her. He wasn't even called to go to her, and she sought after him, and he kept pushing her away and called her a little dog, and she kept coming for more. And a lot of times, I'm going to tell you, friends, a lot of times, if there's something in your life right now that you're seeking after God for, an answer to prayer, you lack wisdom, as James 1 says. You lack wisdom about it. And you seek after God. And you're doing it with faith, not doubting. And you're doing it with perseverance. There's times it'll feel like there's not, nothing coming. But maybe, just maybe, God's testing your faith. Testing your perseverance. Testing your endurance. In the end, something good will come of it. Something good will come of it. We cannot give up in prayer. I'll tell you, when I was studying this the other day, and just sat there, and God brought my, my father to my mind. I started crying out to him for my father. And I don't want to give up in praying for him. Not that I think God's going to force him to salvation, but God will influence him. And God hears my prayers, and God answers my prayers. And God sees my urgency and my brokenness and my crying out to him. Same thing with you two friends. Situation, person, thing, whatever it may be. Don't give up. Don't pray just one time or two times or three times or four times or five times. Don't let your urgency fade away. Don't let your shrieks be calmed. Cry out to him. That's what he wants. And if you cry out to him, he will answer. He will answer, eventually. 
You know, there isn't much that Jesus marveled at in the Bible. But Jesus marveled at the faith of two Gentiles. He marveled at them. Oh, woman, great is your faith. Let's turn to Isaiah 66. I'm going to give you some verses that will tell you the type of person that God is impressed with. Isaiah 66. I'm just going to read the second half of verse 2. But on this one will I look, on him who is poor and of a contrite spirit and who trembles at my word. Ask yourself this question, friends. Are you poor and contrite in spirit? It'll do you no good to be fake about it. Because you may be able to you'll be fake in front of people, but you can't be fake in front of God. Be honest with yourself. Are you poor and contrite in spirit? Do you tremble at his word? When you hear about things like hell and judgment, do you tremble at that? Do you tremble at the fact that the Bible says many will fall away from the faith? The love of most will grow cold in the last days because lawlessness will abound? Do you tremble at that? Those kind of things keep you on your face before God. When you think about the fate of the sinners, when you think about the false doctrine that abounds in the world, You know, you, th- you think about when you think about God's word. Think about that mountain that Moses went upon, that no one else would even go near. No, Moses, you, you go talk to God for us. I don't. Wait, I don't even want to go near there. That's the way we should be with this word. Not just read it to get some doctrine from it. Oh, that's good. Not just read it to, to check our box. I've done my devotional today. I've done what I'm supposed to do. But to tremble at His word. When was the last time you were on your knees when you were reading your Bible? Or on your face when you're reading your Bible. Not in your bed or sitting down. In a very humble position. This is the one that God looks for. Poor, contrite spirit, trembles at his word. Trembles at his word. Psalm 34. You'll want to talk about how God's going to have vengeance on those people. Yeah. Yeah, so when you are humble and contrite in spirit and tremble at his word, and all the people around you aren't, they're disdaining you for that? That's fine. That's fine. That's going to happen, friends. The devil hates someone who's broken and contrite in spirit and trembles at God's word. Psalm 34, in verse 17. The righteous cry out, and the Lord hears. And delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to who? To those who have a broken heart. And saves such as have a contrite spirit. Now oftentimes we'll apply this to salvation, and rightly so. But it applies to everything in life. We need to stay in that broken and contrite spirit. That broken and contrite heart. We need to stay in such a place. We need to cry out to him 
and God will deliver us from our troubles. Psalm 51, we sung about it this morning. In verse 17. Remember, David's writing this in the Old Testament. They had sacrifices they were required to offer. He says, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken, a, a contrite heart. These, O oh God, you will not despise. That woman who cried out to Jesus, he didn't despise her. She cried out to him with a broken and contrite heart, a humble heart. Her only hope. Her only hope. Whatever your situation may be, friends, whatever it may be, fighting against sin, a certain situation you need a prayer answer to, cry out to Him. If you're not saved and you don't know how to do it, cry out to Him. In John 4, we have the situation with the woman at the well. And the woman at the well talked about Jesus about where they should worship. And Jesus says in verse 22, he says, You worship what you do not know. We know we worship for salvation of the Jews. But the hour is coming. And now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. Here's the key part here. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. He's seeking such. That's the person he looks to. That's the sacrifice of God. Spirit and truth, broken and contrite heart, trembling at his word. That is the one God seeks after. You can have all the correct doctrine in the world. You can check all the box of things that you're doing wrong. Are you seeking after him? Are you worshiping him in spirit and truth? Or do the words that come off your mouth more correlate with Matthew 15, 8 and 9? with their mouth and honor with their lips but their heart is far from me. It's got to be of the heart, friends. It's got to be from the heart. It's got to be in the spirit. It's got to be in truth. Not only seeing yourself in truth but seeing God in truth. And if you see yourself in truth and you see God in truth, what are you going to do? You're going to tremble. You're going to tremble at his word. So Jesus marveled at these kind of people who had this great faith and humility. You know, the, the one in, in Matthew 8.10, the centurion who sent him there, he understood God because he said, you don't have to come here, just speak it and it'll happen. He understood God's authority. You have to understand, if God wants to bring something to pass in your life, all he has to do is speak it and it'll happen. That's it. And what you're required to do is to cry out to him in great distress. As if you truly want it. Not just, I prayed about it today, and I prayed about it yesterday, I prayed about it every single day, once a day. Just his little prayer. He wants you to cry out to him in great distress. He wants to know how much you want it. If this woman wouldn't continue on with it, she, her daughter, would have been severely demon-possessed, and she wouldn't have been healed. She wouldn't have gotten any answer for, for, her, for her cries from Jesus? She wouldn't have gotten that. So those things you're praying about, friends, maybe you prayed about them for weeks or for months or for years. 
Have you allowed your fervor to diminish? Have you allowed your spirit to lose its fervor? Because God is looking to see, are you going to be trembling at his word? Are you humble and contrite in spirit? Are you worshiping spirit and truth? Are you crying out to him with shrieks and screams? Not caring who's going to hear you? Do you think she cared about who was going to hear her shrieking and screaming and crying? She didn't care. And she did it in public. Imagine if she cared about how embarrassed she would be. But she didn't care. Which just her and Jesus at that point. She didn't hear what the disciples were saying. It was just like it was a block there. Oh, send her away. Jesus, help me! Send her away. Jesus, help me! She didn't care. She cried out after him. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. That very hour. That's the one who God is impressed with. That's the one who Jesus is impressed with. Well, Jesus departed from there. He went around the Sea of Galilee, up the mountain south, that sat down there, and then came to him, having with them the lame, the blind, the mute, the maimed, the many others. He laid them down at the Jesus' feet, and he healed them. Who were these multitudes? Where do you think they were from? I'll, I'll give you a hint. The very last part of verse 31. And they glorified the God of Israel. Hmm. You think they would say that about Jews? Hmm. I mean, that's the only God they know. They wouldn't even made that modifier that at that on that right there, the God of Israel. It was these Gentiles. They probably heard about what happened to this woman and they went seeking after him. And because they sought after him, even though he wasn't seeking after them, he, they sought after him he healed their people too. He healed their people too. And it's interesting, you know, how he healed this one man. Interesting. You know, very interesting. Yeah, I, the only people I see doing this kind of stuff today are these really off-the-wall fake healers. But look at the way he healed them. He took them aside. This is in Mark 7, by the way, verse 33. Took them aside from the multitude put his fingers in his ears, he spat and touched his tongue. It's a little weird. But hey, God can do whatever he wants. Amen? That's the way he chose to heal him. So the reason I bring that up is because if, if a true healer does come along, not these people like Benny Hinn and all these other fake guys out there, if a true healer comes along and he does stuff like that, don't dismiss him just because he does weird things. Don't dismiss him because he does weird things. I'm not talking about Todd Bentley and all his nonsense. But God may lead him to do some weird things. But the proof will be in the pudding. The proof will be in the fruit. If someone truly does get healed, verifiable healing. And he was healed. Immediately his ears were opened, the impediment of his tongue was loose, and he spoke plainly. And of course, Jesus didn't want them to go out and tell the multitude because he wasn't there for that house. He was here for the house of Israel, for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And we see in verse 32, Jesus had compassion on the multitude. 
Now, he always had compassion in a spiritual sense because he always preached to them. He always taught them. But here he has compassion in a physical sense. And one thing I want us to get in, one thing I need to get into me, is that when we go out and preach the gospel, yeah, we're ministering to the spiritual needs. It's not a bad thing that minister to the physical needs to do. It's not a bad thing to do that. It might open their eyes a little more. It might open their ears a little more. Wouldn't be bad to do that. And you notice the disciples here this time, they didn't have the same kind of response this time when Jesus said he wanted to feed them. You know, he, they, he simply asked them how many they had and told them how many he had. They, they knew what was going to happen next this time. I mean, he can feed 5,000 plus women and children. Surely he can feed 4,000 plus women and children, right? And they all had their full. And we see that Jesus went to Magdala. And in Marcus, is a different city, but they've since found the ruins of that city called Dalmanutha in Mark 8.10, they found the ruins of the city one mile from Magdala. So there's no contradiction there. So friends, the kind of person God is impressed with, who God seeks after, are those who are some spirit in truth, broken and contrite spirit which are the sacrifices of God someone who trembles at his word someone who cries out after him, shrieks out after him and there'll be times, friend, God's going to test your faith in this you may, not, you may feel like God's just you can't even get through to him there's a busy signal but you cry out you shriek out after him he will respond he will, he will respond. If you lack wisdom in something in your life, He will respond if you ask in faith, not doubting. Truly asking, truly wanting an answer, He will answer. The main thing that God had put on my heart this morning was that first part. All throughout this week, this week. So what is it, friends? What is it? What is it? As usual, we'll open the floor up and if anyone has any questions or objections or things they want to add to what's said, feel free to do so.
respect to Israel, and then in the other account, she's talking about the master table. Now she's talking about eating from the children's crumbs. Yeah. And that the dogs are underneath the children. Yeah. The ones that he came to first. as God's chosen nation. Yeah, she knew her place. No doubt about that. Romans 11. Yeah. Do not be haughty, but fear. Yes. I was just thinking the same thing. It's like Keith Green's song, my my eyes are dry. You know, my heart is hard, my prayers are cold. I know how I ought to be. definitely can't try to manufacture a fake urgency. Um, it needs to come from the heart. This woman wasn't fake. If she was, Jesus would have saw it right through her. That's a good point, brother. We need to pray for the urgency if we don't have it. Sometimes, I mean, the other day when I was praying for my father, I just didn't really say much. I just, you know, cried out, my father, you know. 
father. Too late. The Pharisee? Uh, <coughs> it's Matthew, I believe. be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. Everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Of course, someone who's truly living holy won't look down at other on people and say, "Well, I'm not like you," you know, that kind of attitude. So, 